All right, welcome to Behind the DM Screen. This is April 2018, is that right? The year correct? Yep. All right, cool. Uh, April 2018, we are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out, and that's all the introduction you get, except that I didn't get out my phone to set a timer. So, Mike Shea. You I get are, extra time. You are first to go, and you have 15 minutes on the clock. Go. I want to talk about the terrible mistake I made with Tomb of Annihilation. Because you're a horrible DM. Well, I don't want to go that far. <laughs> got groups and they keep coming back. Well, then you don't, you don't, you don't really want to talk about it, then, do you, Mike? I don't want to talk about being a bad DM. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> That's another show. I gotta get, I gotta get Michael Mellon on here to talk about that. Jeff and well, I need to have an intervention. Yeah. Right, you can have a big intervention. But if Mike, if Michael Mellon's not there, I'm not doing it. Okay, okay. I want a pro, pro out. There. So, uh, Tomb of Annihilation. So I've been running a game for, I've been running my Sunday group through Tomb of Annihilation, and that's been going swimmingly. We've been having a really good time. They uh, are just about to get to Jalaka. By the way, this is all Tomb of Annihilation spoilers, so be prepared. Um, They got to Jalaka Bay, which is where the pirates are. Uh Uh-huh. And I made the pirates vampires, and the group just figured out that the pirates are being run by vampires. And there's this huge storm that's sitting over top of Jalaka Bay, and it makes this, it blots out the sun, which means the vampires can walk during the day and, and cause all kinds of problems. Um, so I'm having a lot of fun with that. They're just about to get started, you know, handling Jalaka Bay. Uh, the only thing I'll mention there is I'm, I'm definitely going with the approach of I'm going to set up Jalaka Bay as here's a big pirate cove and here's a bunch of pirates and here's some vampires and here's some monsters and some other things. And then they decide how to interact with it. So I don't have encounters. I don't have scenes. Why? I don't I don't outline. Why did they have to all be vampires? They weren't all vampires in the original story. Uh, right. And they're not vampires at all. In, in the adventure. Right. So um, so why why make that change? What the, what purpose does that cause, serve? Because vampires are cool. Okay. <laughs> um, that's probably number one. Number two is I saw that the um, uh, I forget the name of it, but Matt, uh, so so uh, James James Wyatt has been writing these magic D and D hybrid things, mm-hmm. and one of them was about uh, the jungle campaign and magic. I forget what it's called, but they had uh, vampiric conquistadors in the jungle. Mm-hmm. And there's this great picture of like a Spanish style armored vampire kind of smiling as he's hanging out in the jungle. And I was like, Oh, vampires. You <laughs> was know? that I- Ixalan? Yeah, that's the one. And so you can actually download that mod, that thing for free. It's a really cool, they, they really nailed like the, the joint, like let's put out the jungle adventures of magic, uh, along with, um, uh, tomb of annihilation. And there's a lot, they have like huge, titanic monsters and they're way bigger than anything that's inside the adventure so if you wanted to go to really high level stuff you know or or insert one of these titans you know these huge these huge beasts you can so go hunt for that online maybe somebody will put it in show notes i don't know um <laughs> not, likely. not likely <laughs> sam does the show notes <laughs> Google it, you'll find it and it's free and it's like this 36 page yeah. you know adventure and it's got great artwork and really nice layout and it's well edited i, lo- I love it yeah. it's like a great free product uh, the the Ammon Ket one that they did was really good yeah, too. Yeah, all of them. They've done yeah. about five of these, I think, and they've all been great. They're these really neat. Free. I'm not a magic guy, and I've, I kind of wish I was because I really like the, these sort of inserted settings. They're they're clearly designed for magic people who want to play D and D in a magic world. Yeah, I and, wasn't sure what I thought about James White yeah. switching from the D and D team to the magic team, but it's worked out pretty yeah. well for us, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of free stuff. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. Anyway, um, so they're going with pirates, and that's all cool. Uh, my other group, I've been running through another adventure uh, over the past. You know, we we finished Storm King's Thunder, and then we took a break and did sort of a small, you know, a small side adventure that took them to about fifth level. And I realized that there was a couple things happened at the end of it. One is I had an idea that it was going to be a lead-in into Tomb of Annihilation, and then at the end, but a couple things happened. One is that at the end of it, they they were festooned with the treasures that they had picked up over the fifth the, the five levels of that game and i realized like starting them at fifth level means that most of the jungle is going to be pretty easy for them mm. like the exploration part of it the dangers of of traveling through chult are going to be dramatically well, reduced and that's problematic because chult is supposed to be like super dangerous it's like yeah, right. through the underdark right walk through and like 
you know, eight, eight out of eighty percent of the random encounters are things that they could just destroy with a fireball. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I thought that's not much fun. So then I'm like, well, I, but I had told them in the beginning that that's what we were going to do, and th- and many of them built characters that were designed to transition into Chult, right? So they they suffered through this whole other small side thing that I ran, with the goal that they were going to get the Chult with their current character. And I felt bad about being like, you know what, that was a mistake, and we should really start over with new characters. Um, so, and I also didn't want to start them over because they just started. Like this, this is a very experienced group, and they've run. They had you know seventeenth level characters in Storm King's Thunder, and they they don't want to play. And and then we started at level one again. They don't want to start at level one. A, a, you know, right now. Right. J- j- you know, a couple months after they started level one the first time. So I said, well, what about like level three? And then, and then I, I was like, well, I want them to gain the benefits of their other characters. And we had a kind of a fun montage at the end of that campaign, the mini, this little mini thing that I ran for essentially a couple months. And um, they, you know, I said, what if those guys were sort of your, um, your patrons, right? They became sort of NPCs that you controlled that were involved in Chult because many of them had Chult connections. They were involved in Port Nine Zaru. And they were sort of the patrons of your new characters who are level three and are the ones that are actually going to go be exploring in Chult. And they said, yeah, that's great. And then I made, you know, so that kind of alleviated the first mistake. Sure. But I also said, well, what's the benefit that you get from having a patron? And I said, well, financing would be one and mm-hmm. maybe help you acquire stuff and they're like well what about a magic item since we're starting at three maybe we could get a magic item and i should have said no you don't get a magic item but instead i was like oh okay you know and so then i forgot that i said that and then they showed up with magic items that they <laughs> sold <laughs> and so so then i'm like wow like, now like you didn't even, you didn't even put like a cap on it like uncommon well, or, or i did say like uncommon right okay. and and sometimes some of them did it and some of them were like we'd rather figure things out so then with like one character he said, "Well, I'd like to. I'd like to get an item for my patron." And I went through the Xanathar rules for um, uh, acquiring a magic item through uh, downtime. Right, okay. a great set of rules, by the way. Really fun. If you ever decide like you want to sell magic items in your D and D campaign, the rules that they have in Xanathar is for like you have to go. You know you got to go find people and you have to bribe them and you have to set up big fancy parties with rich people. And, you know, you're constantly like cultivating your relationships in order to find the right people who are actually willing to sell you magic items is so much better than like, here's a guy on the street who opens a trench coat full of Vorpal swords. Right. Right. So I, I liked it a lot and it had this really kind of, it takes like 10 days in order for you to really, and a lot of money. And then at the end you get random rolls, right? You don't Mm -hmm. get, you don't get to select it. So I did that and he got random rolls and he got like four item four, you know, four choices. And one of them was the instrument of the bards. And and I you know, I was like, Oh, that's cool, because he's a bard. And I was oh, like, Wow, that's yeah. perfect. Right. And then he got it. And I looked at it and it's like, that thing's insanely powerful. <laughs> it's an uncommon magic item, but it has eight spell slots on it. Well it depends it on eight. which it depends on which version you get, but I, yeah. The lowest one has eight spell slots on it. There you go. <laughs> Seven, I think. But um, it's got fly and invisibility. You know, like level three. Well, that's so their I'm way like, of saying, hey, sorry, bard suck. Here's here's a really cool item. Yes, that was exactly the <laughs> argument the, the player made. Right? <laughs> hey, my character sucks anyway. Now I got this stuff. And I'm like, fly. So you're going to fly into Chultz, right? Like that, you know, all the problem. Hey, wait, hey there's Omu. You know, I can see it. Like, let's, <laughs> let's just go there, right? So that was troublesome. So I, I talked to him. We, he texted, we texted back and forth. I said, wouldn't it be cooler? We, we negotiated. We negotiated down to uh, you get to pick three spells that it begins with when you first learn it. It's you learning uh-huh. the instant, right? Mm-hmm. And when you learn it, you get three things that are on it. And then as you level, you get an additional two. But, mm-hmm. And you can't stop fly. But as soon as you get – as soon as you're at the point where you get a spell slot that will let you do fly – that can be one of the ones that you learn. Yeah. And then, benefit is... It's a little, can learn- uh, have, you, have you read the Tal'Dori uh, setting book? No, I didn't. So I, what, I own it. Uh, yeah, one of the things that, that he introduces in there is, is these magic items called vestiges that he used in the Critical Role campaign. Uh, and the idea of the vestige is that it starts, you know, it's more than just you know, your plus one item or whatever, right? Um, 
but it's not super powerful, but it has they all have like three tiers. And in order yeah. to get to the next tier, which unlocks more powers and makes the powers you have more powerful and whatever, uh, you have to not, it's not about leveling. It's about like you have to do something epic. Like right. one of my one sure. of my characters has this this flaming mall thing, uh, you know, and the epic thing that they did to unlock the, the second tier is, oh, yeah. Remember that time you killed Orcus? Well, that like unleashed the next yeah. t- next level. If you kill Orcus, you don't need a new level of your flaming right. mall. Man. <laughs> sure, but you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, like oh, now I can really kill Orcus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wait out. Hey, I can get but Demogorgon any, and. But anyway, the, the, uh, the same idea could very easily apply to an item like that. Right, and and that would be great. But I also have a hard time remembering that sort of stuff. Yes. So uh, the idea that he now knows it's tied to, like, um, yeah, it would definitely be better and cooler if it was tied to events that he did. Right. But those personal quests are easy for me to lose. Right. Um, so, I, so instead it's like, and also he was like, hey, why the hell, you, why don't I just get all seven spells right away? So I was like, the idea, if I said like, well, it's locked and you have to go, you know, kill Nanny Poo Poo. And then you get that, you know, <laughs> but they'll probably do that anyway, right? And I could probably tie it to one of those events. Yeah, you know, you narrative without necessarily having them have, make well, and if and if you're using a milestone system for leveling anyway, exactly. then the it's basically going to be tied to an event regardless. Right. So exactly. So one lazy one lazy behavior then reinforces another lazy behavior. I and, love one. And we know you like lazy behaviors. Absolutely. I'm too. So have good. have you gotten to the mistake yet? I'm still because <laughs> you're down to four minutes. Oh my god. <laughs> So, a, little, a little more, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so the mistake was that I I really wish I had just said, especially for this group, hey, you know, what I wish I had said is, hey, we're going to run a small campaign with characters, and here's the situation, and build characters for that. And when we're done with that, we're going to file that away, and we're going to start with a brand new set of characters. But we can start at level three, no magic items in Chult, and then you can build characters that are designed for Chult. Okay. And what I had, the mistake I had made was originally saying, hey, we're going to run this little side thing that I ran, and then those characters will move into Chult. And then half those characters were Chult-based, and half were based on the old one, but they all wanted to move over, or some of them wanted to move over, but they were too high level, and then there's the whole, like, well, I don't want them to get screwed, so now i got to come up with yeah. some patron okay. system. It was right. way too complicated, and my other group, it was way easier. Now, the one thing I did that I think worked really well is um rather than kind of so i i really don't like the intro of tomb of annihilation i don't like the teleport in and go have a dinner party um and i said so i started off the campaign this big six-month campaign i said who's racing a dinosaur like right now <laughs> which of you are on dinosaurs and which of you are betting on dinosaurs and four of the five are like oh we're, yeah, we're on a dinosaur and i'm like what terrible series of life choices did you make that led you to be on the streets of Port Nyons are riding on a dinosaur. That's brilliant. You know, and, and what character looks at me, she goes, I lost a bet. And I go, great. Oh, perfect. Right. So, uh, so starting with the dinosaur race, like you could, uh, you know, I was really happy with starting right into the action. And honestly, um, I always, I always felt like the dinosaur race was a little like, this is a, a, a quirky, cool idea, but it was a little bit forced into the story because right. it doesn't really fit the story. That works. Like that well, totally really fits. Cool. Right. Like, you know, I'm not going to come around to why you should ride a dinosaur. You are riding a dinosaur. Right. How did you get here? That's, right. that's, so that's, your, that's your intro. Yeah. I, I, I love was it. Happy. I was happy with that. It's a real good, what do they call that in the, in the movies? In Meteorez. Meteorez, yeah. So that, that worked really well. Now, what didn't work well is then they're done riding dinosaurs. I had nothing else for them to do. <laughs> <laughs> now, oh, yes. and, and, and what's funny is the most interesting thing after that, like wandering around the city and you know, get, kind of getting, and I had like zombies attacked. What, what's their and, hook into the into needing to get to Omu? And, and I, yeah, so when they built their characters, I kind of said like, why why do you want to travel with other adventurers to go into the jungle and stop the death curse? Like like that was their okay, you know, that was their background of their character. So they each have sort of a hook. Like one is a death domain. Oh yeah, the other thing about the characters is they couldn't be like more Gonzo races. It's a cat person a lizard a turtle a demon and a uh dragonborn and by demon you mean tiefling yeah so it's like the tiefling and the dragonborn (laughs) are by far the most normal of the characters (laughs) so they're they're, you know but they did come up with a great party name um which is uh was it tales of high adventure there you go Mm a-i-l-s so dragonborn don't have tales but okay city or something like that yeah <laughs> so really great really great fun name but it's like it's hard to like you know when you go into a bar and here comes a cat a lizard man a turtle so then i just put lots of cats and lizard men and turtles in the city and everyone's like oh yeah more of those guys right um so uh yeah so starting with the dinosaur race worked really well uh, so, i also added a 
Yeah. Did, do they already know about the the baby death god thing? The ba- no. Okay. No. Uh, my, that's, that's one of those those things where it's like it's this big climax at the end, and it was a complete surprise. And I'm like, really? Because if you'd have made that the hook, then I feel like that whole like final encounter would have been much more impactful. Yeah, yeah. You know. No. All these things need work, right? right? Every 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 polished adventure we've had has problems like this. But and I'm going to definitely use it as, um, you know, they're going to get visions and they're going to like they're going to learn that early. My other group already learned it. I actually showed. I think I mentioned that last show, right? That I showed them a picture uh, of it. I said like you had a dream and you saw this, and the guy's like ah, like the player screamed in the middle of the store, <laughs> and all the other guys are like what? And he's like I can't. I don't want to talk about it. Right? <laughs> it was so perfect. So yeah, I'm yeah. Definitely- I made it really. I made it really easy for my. Yeah, and I should because my wife got yeah. she already knows what it is. Right. You know, she's she heard about it on that show. Um, yeah, so I, I had a small mini dungeon. I'm going to give my one last tip and I'll yep. shut up. Uh, <laughs> I had a small mini dungeon, which I felt like Port Night. Like one thing I, I felt uh, that also I love I love Tomb of Annihilation, right? I'm very happy with it. I'm happier with it than I was with Storm Kings, but definitely. Mm. And I like Storm Kings. Um. But I really loved how the previous adventures had these like really small mini level one adventures in them. And and this one did not, right? This one is like you just start in the middle of a city and the city is huge and there's like 500 NPCs that want to come talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like a, a, a focused, a, a small focused adventure would be good. And I had this ziggurat that where the floor collapsed and zombies came pouring out that's in the old city. And um, they didn't get to this to to go to the ziggurat and explore it until our second session, which was um, last night. And uh, but as soon as they got there, it was like now they're having fun again. Like they got the, the I felt that the players got lost in the city. There's so much to do, and it's like, well, where do we, they went to the they went to the temple of Sune? And this is it Sune or Sune? Sune. I was right. Yep. Okay, so so they go to the temple of Sune, and those guys are jerks because everybody rolled like a nine on their charisma check, and like, man, you guys are all ugly, and we don't like you, and we <laughs> want you to leave. And like, man, what a bunch of jerks! And you know, my, my wife's like, I pee in their plants, you know. So <laughs> so it's like this wasted scene. That, but they learned, like, yeah, well, we learned that the temple of Sune are a bunch of assholes. Um, <laughs> but they um, a lot of wonder. Man, my alarm's going off. So a lot of wonder. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of wandering around, uh, but as soon as they went to that small temple, that worked really well. So something else I'd recommend is, particularly because they have these old ziggurats that have been there for a while, that's just ripe for a small, you know, five room dungeon mm. that and it, that can reveal some more major plot points about the adventure. In my right. case, it's foreshadowing the Uwanti was a main a main thing that I did there. Right. Anyway, I'm having lots of fun, but that my mistake was, you know, just I should have just started him fresh in the adventure instead of carrying from one kind of thing to another. Yeah, I mean, I tell you, I have a large library of potential adventures to run, of course, um, and that was one of the ones that was probably like second to the bottom on my list of priorities to get to, um, with Storm King's Thunder being last. Uh, (laughs) But but, but after hearing your conversation and, and, and... Every week, the, the, the ways that you're changing it and, and whatever, in some ways, I would say fixing it. Because um, one of my biggest struggles was, was the hook and, and the way it begins and whatever. But, like, dinosaur racing and visions of, of a, a baby death god, like, that fixes about 90% of my problems with, with the adventure. And I, I, I'm, I'm more eager to, yeah, to try it out. Real, yeah, that's why I don't give it too much crap because those are easy fixes. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah I mean, my, but it takes my, some, my, it takes some creativity. Really is my my fixes were very different from Mike's, but it still fixed for my group what needed to be done. You Good. know. Yeah, right on. I'm done. All right, Sorry, Mike's done. Except Mike's not done because. Oh. It is now time to mention our sponsor, EasyRollerDice.com. EasyRollerDice is a great dice company. I've got several sets of their stuff myself and their new uh, awesome like dice tray thing. I don't know if you if you saw that. I kickstarted it when it was. I I kickstarted two of them. I have two up on my dining room table right now. Uh, So so anyway, I know Mike is a huge fan of EasyRollerDice.com. So I'm going to go ahead and let Mike talk about our sponsor this week. Ah, so Easy Roller Dice is a great company. I met them at Origins last year. They, uh, beyond sponsoring uh, the Tome Show, they also sponsor my website, SlyFlourish.com. So that makes that that means I'm completely unbiased. 
in in this <laughs> review. I have no no, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> Easy Roller Dice. I will. So I'll give some interesting stuff. So Easy Roller Dice makes both plastic, you know, typical plastic and also some really nice metal dice. Um, you can buy the metal dice in sets of like your typical seven, but you can also buy these cool skull cases that have. Um, percentile dice and four d6s rather than just one d6 um i have multiple sets of metal and their uh, plastic dice one thing i i did is i actually took their plastic dice and i did that salt water test mm-hmm. you guys familiar with the salt water test to check dice balance mm-hmm. yeah it, it, could, it couldn't be more nerdy and i i don't think has any actual true value but one thing i noticed is that my watsy dice that came with the starter set were not balanced well and the easy roller dice were all balanced very very well so if you really care about that kind of thing, right? So they are they are infinitesimally more randomized than the exactly they're yeah. <laughs> more randomized and and you know doesn't really doesn't matter that much. But it you know that was a that was something that caught my eye on their their stuff. Uh, they do as as Sam mentioned as uh, sorry as Jeff mentioned they have um, dice trays as well and the dice tray that they kickstarted. And I, I think are they available yet? Yeah, they are. Okay, so um, they have dice trays that have an inner they're octagonal. And they have an inner ring where you can store your dice uh, inside the dice tray, but uh, outside of the in- inner tray. So you can pull them out and roll them. And you can put a case on it and take it around. Um, my my big dice tray stays at home, uh, mm-hmm. but my little skull case goes with me on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, they're have, just great. I have, I have many of, sets of love. One of my players kickstarted uh, one of those dice trays the um, with the staging area, which was what you're describing. So there's a ring yeah. on the outside to store, store your dice. He bought he kickstarted one as well, and and that's how he brings his stuff with him every week. Like he's got his his folder with his character in it or whatever, but all of his dice are out in the staging area, and then he throws his pencils and whatever into the center uh, section, and it's got a nice tight fitting lid that sits on top, so the dice aren't just sort of rattling around in there. And he yeah. gets out. And he pulls the lid off and it's good to go. Yeah, I, uh, they have uh, different patterns on them. They have like a Cthulhu and Raven and dragons and cult yeah, what, technology. Which ones did you get? I got the uh, Ouroboros. Or, 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 Ouroboros? Ouroboros. Mm-hmm. The serpent that's eating its own tail. I mm-hmm. thought that was cool. Yeah, I was uh, really interested in that the, one. Uh, my wife got the wolf, I think. Okay. Yeah, see, I was uh, into the Ouroboros, and I was into the Celtic Knot thing, and then they, they decided on what the final colors would be, and all of a sudden, the one that I went with was the one that I originally at least liked, and that was the, the Spellbook one. But that yellow, uh, the, gold, oh, yeah. the gold foil and the yellow felt on the inside, yeah, like, really cool. works well, so... Yeah, yeah, it's great, and then, like, the idea that, that we all... Yeah, I should, I should try throwing all my crap in the center. Mm, and and using that like right now i got a big file folder and it's got all my papers and it, then it's got little ziploc bags with my stuff but i bet you i could fit it all in the center of that thing there you go uh, my problem is it's literally oh, like like 70 percent of it is filled with metal dice so it weighs like five pounds <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> a thing we've not fit it around. well maybe anyway, maybe save them. the metal dice for home and, and bring that's your, what I do, your... Like, well so the, the sad thing is i have so many metal dice that i have a home set and a carry and a, and a, and a road, <laughs> a road. And they're great. I have all different colors of their it metal must dice. Be and nice to be Mike. It's nice to be Mike. <laughs> and it's nice to buy some Easy Roller Dice. There you go. So check them out, easyrollerdice.com. Like dice? Need more dice? Check out easyrollerdice.com for amazing dice, including their gunmetal and rose gold collections. When you visit... Make sure to use coupon code TOME, that's T-O-M-E, at checkout and save 15% immediately. Again, go to EasyRollerDice.com and use code TOME at checkout and save 15% and snag yourself some great dice and gaming accessories. Okay, so we are back. Sam, you are up. It's time to talk about your game and you probably have lots to talk about because you missed the last episode. I, I do have lots to talk about, and I'm going to talk about Tomb of Annihilation as well because yeah! I've been running. I've been running Tomb of Annihilation, and I so uh, earlier uh, last fall, one of my players, uh, him and his wife, are both players in my game, and they gave us the sad news that they would probably be moving, and uh, that was confirmed in late January that they would be moving. So. Uh, they are only here until about mid-June, so 
Uh, and at the same time, uh, the whole group, I mean, there's it's them two and another player and then me. So uh, all of the players basically said, okay, well, we, what are we going to do as our last game together? You know, our last campaign. And uh, I, I pitched them a couple of things and, and they wanted Tomb of Annihilation. And, you know, oh, I struggled with it because it's such a huge campaign. It's such a huge product. It's got so much. And they, they have how the, in the, heck- the shortcut version that you can do as well. Well, hold on. And so I said, uh, I said, you know, how am I going to get through this uh, in in about eight or nine sessions? Because that's that's all I'm going to have. And so I I had to basically go through and make my own short version. I I know there are a few out there, but I I needed to make it tailored to my group. And so basically what I uh, what I decided to do was have them create uh, fourth level characters. And I gave them some some magic items and I set them up so that, uh, they had, um, you know, in, so spoilers, right. Uh, they, there are these fabled treasures that are supposedly in the, in the tomb. And so what I did was each of the characters, I, I gave them a, a private little piece of paper with, with, uh, I had talked to them beforehand and asked them who their patron was. And I, and I, with them, I, I sort of, uh, you know, decided we we sort of decided together okay here's your who's your patron and and here's why you're you know maybe going to be doing this uh going to cholt and they each had one of those fabled items that they were looking for of course they didn't know that it was in the tomb they just know that that's their sort of treasure hunters and that's what they're looking for and their patron is is you know basically paying for them to go find this thing uh and so they're they're part of this uh part of this group and i let them be affiliated with a fact with a faction so i gave them you know the the forgotten realms factions and and that way i could it was easier to develop a patron based on that uh so so they sort of have a connection to a group of people so having done that it wasn't a problem for me to say okay you're gonna teleport into cholt now, if I was going to run this campaign and I was going to do it for a long time, I definitely would not have used that because I'm I'm kind of like Mike. I don't really like that as a as a quote hook. That's not really a hook. It's just oh, you're teleporting in, whatever. Um, but in this case, because I'm running short on time and because me and the players already knew, okay, I have to structure that. I, I told them basically, look, if we're going to do this in eight or nine sessions, it's going to be a railroad. So each session is going to be sort of this tiny microcosm of several things that have to happen. And then it'll get you to the end on time. And there's still a lot of exploration. There's still a lot of things you have to find out, but some things it's just going to be, once you get to this place, here's what you find out. Uh, And some things it's going to be, okay, now you're in this place. Now we're going to spend a lot of this time finding something out. Right. So anyway, so I I won't go over the whole like schedule that I made up or whatever. I did post it on RPG Musings, um, my website. Go to rpgmusings.com. Ding. So anyway, uh, so I actually had um, so I I gave them some magic items and we had them uh, teleport in, and it's really funny they didn't care about because they knew we were on a timeline right, so they didn't care about dinosaur racing. They didn't really care about exploring the city because. Uh, one of their patrons got them in to meet with um, one of the princes of Port, Port Nianzaru. And uh, that that person sent them to one of the, you know, a couple of the other princes. Because they were asking, well, we need this and we want this information, whatever. And they ended up going to one of the princes. And they had a really odd experience there because I, I, I had one of the princes already having an audience with someone. And... At the same time, they were like punishing one of their servants slash slaves, and uh, and so the group had this really interesting interaction where they couldn't. They were put in a position where they couldn't really, you know, they couldn't tell off the the prince, right? Because this prince is you know very powerful, and here they're seeing this prince basically, you know, commit an evil act by punishing this this slave person. Um, and so, uh, it was this really interesting thing. And basically after that meeting, they said, okay, we want to go get the information we need to get from this person. We need to find, a a a guide and we got to get out of here. Cause this place is just, it's, this is not anywhere we want to be. Cause remember there, none of them are from, you know, well, actually two of them are not from Cholt and one of them is it lived in the forest of Cholt, but was going to town to try to find some information. So 
they didn't really want to be in town, any of them. So they didn't do any of the dinosaur racing. They didn't do any of the exploration. They didn't really even run into, you know, there's that whole thing in the beginning where, oh, you could maybe have them run into this person or this person, or they can do this task and that task. And, mm. you know, the, the, I have the same problem with that, that that I think Jeff mentioned, right? If there's a death curse and the whole point is to find the cause of it and, and neutralize that, you can't go spend six months investigating Cholt <laughs> trying to find something because everybody's going to die around you when you do that. So uh, basically at the beginning, I had them in the – for the one day or the one session they were in Port Nianzaru, they were able to meet enough people and get contacts with enough people where they found out enough that they knew where they basically needed to go. They knew they uh, they knew that there was some kind of a curse. They knew that there were two or three different um, uh, theories about what was causing it. They knew that there were two or three different other groups already trying to find the cause and and stop it, whatever it is. And they knew about three or four places they could go to to try to do that. And and that was my version of giving the players a choice of which parts of the island that they want to see, because they can't see everything. So I sort of laid out for them, okay, here's what you find out. And then those those items they found out led in some specific directions. And they ended up uh, choosing to go to Kirsabal, which is the Aarakocra uh, place. Okay, uh-huh. and so they, they did that. Uh, they they left um, Port Nianzaru with a horrible taste in their mouth uh, about the princess. They really did not like that place at all. Um, so I, I changed quite a bit of it because it, it was uh, – it was um, – you know, it's kind of exotic and fun, and the bright colors, and there's all these cool things, and I, and I, I, I sort of uh, un, unintentionally actually made it so that the princes uh, came off as very evil, <laughs> mm, yeah. um, and I, I didn't mean to, uh, but then the players were reacting so strongly to it, I just went with it because it was creating this really interesting uh, moment. So, anyway, they went to um, to Kirsabal. Well, on their way to Kirsabal, one of my players had said to me that um, he's never played in a game that had the deck of many things, and he really wanted to experience that in some campaign at some time. So, of course, I, I brought a, a deck of many things in the second uh, session, and so they were being <laughs> led. They're being led through the jungle by their guide, and um, at one point, uh, they rolled. Uh, I, I was rolling for you know random encounter and. Uh, I, I rolled for a random encounter, and it was. Uh, I decided that um, the the random encounter was that uh, the the ranger heard something strange off in the distance, a few hundred yards away. Went to investigate and saw these uh, those beetle things, whatever they're called, the yachka beetles or whatever. Uh, saw them sort of drawing a pattern in the sand in this little clearing. And uh, when she went and investigated, uh, she looked and said, oh, that, that looks very interesting. So she went and got the other, the other uh, PCs. And they, by the time they got back, it was like, glowing with some sort of weird arcane energy. Um, so that was – I completely made that part up. But uh, basically what it did was when they, when they checked it out, it was pointing in a certain direction. It was drawing this maze and this little dungeon picture, but then it was actually making an arrow shape. So they walked in this certain direction, and they found this uh, little uh, cavern that had a, a secret door entrance, and they figured out how to open that, and they went in, and when they went in, there was the one single table with three chairs on one side and one chair on the other. Uh, and as they walked in, the door shut behind them, and uh, and then a skeleton appeared sitting in the chair, shuffling a deck of cards. Mm. Uh, and so that's when they interacted with the deck of many things. And they came out of it really well, except for uh, one player chose to draw four cards. And uh, and he drew three really great, excellent cards, and then he drew the void. So uh, <laughs> he he went away. But it was actually okay because he had decided he was playing a wizard for the first time. He's never played a wizard before, and he had decided he didn't really like to – he didn't know how to play a wizard. Um, so the problem there – so I made a mistake too, Mike, uh, to make uh-huh. me not feel so bad. The problem was that I should have encouraged him to not play a wizard because we started at a higher level. He would probably do much better if we started at a first level. so yeah, that he could grow into it. Yeah, he could learn the character, but we didn't. We started at fourth, and then I basically leveled them a level every session. So by now, they're fifth level. He didn't know how to play his character. His Every time we had some kind of interaction, his character completely flubbed what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
going to the void was actually okay. I didn't set it up like that. It was just the chance of the deck. You know, I shuffled. I have I actually have a deck of many things. I shuffled it, and they drew, and that they got what they got. Um, and so he got to make a new character, and that was at the end of that session anyway. So they were almost to. Um, they had gone to Kirsa Ball, and they were all. They were. Uh, were they at? No, they weren't at Kirsa Ball yet. They were almost there, and that's when they had the encounter, and that's when the session ended. So at the beginning of the next session, they came out of the the two remaining PCs came out of that that little alcove cave thing, and they saw the heart of Ubtau floating above. Yeah. Off in the distance, so they went to go find that, and they found the other player's new PC in in the cage that's in the heart of Uptown. There's a little there's a little cage in there, um, and of course, then they met um, what's her name, whatever the name of that particular whatever that uh, what is it, Valindra? Is it Valindra Valindra Shadow Mantle? Or yeah, something? yeah, Valindra Shadow Mantle. So they met her, and they actually had a really interesting. Uh, interaction with her and then she sicked a bunch of uh cholton zombies on him so they had to figure out how to get out of there uh finally uh made it to kirsa ball they fought a bunch of terror folks so they they did uh you know get to explore a little bit but it was a much more um sort of a targeted exploration kind of thing uh i actually have the gale force nine maps that that they made for oh yeah are those good they're really nice, yeah. And so, you know, because one of them is is the same map that doesn't have anything colored in except the edges, you know. Right. So they could actually do sort of a mini hex crawl. We could write right on there what where they've been to and what they've been doing. And I really shortcutted that. I had a few events happen uh, per day, and they were trying to move as fast as possible because, of course, I made it clear to them when they were first finding out the information: you really don't have six months in this forest if you spend six months everybody you know and everybody who's your patron they're all gonna die so you can't you can't waste time so they were all in a hurry anyway so i've kept the time pressure on them um and then uh so then they made it uh they got to kirsa ball uh at kirsa ball they had they were told by ashara the the leader there that um you know she could do a ritual that would give them wings and uh, which is that's right from the book right. and then so they went to Nangalore and they spent a session in Nangalore and they had a really great time because when they finally got to the the end of that that garden um, interaction they actually uh, sat down and were talking with the queen whatever her name is that's supposedly the ruler of the of that that old uh, that garden um, and one of the characters didn't really realize that she was probably extremely dangerous, but the other characters did. So there was some really interesting uh, role-playing interactions there. Um, and then one of them finally got too nervous and, and attacked her. And so then there, there was a huge, uh, huge fight. Um, but that was really interesting. Uh, she's, um, uh, once again, spoilers, she's a Medusa, right? So uh, it was pretty interesting because um, the one PC who didn't realize she was so dangerous was about to basically make a deal with her, uh, not realizing what the deal would be. It was almost like a, it was a very uh, Faustian kind of thing where um, he was about to make a deal, not realizing he was actually trading away his, his life and, and soul and future and all that stuff. Uh, but he would have gotten them what they wanted. So I, I think it would have still been interesting. Uh, and as soon as one of the other players figured out like it dawned on him what was happening and he's like okay i gotta i gotta stop this before this deal is made so uh they attacked and so there was a big battle there that garden was really really fun nangalore was fun so what i did was it because i knew they couldn't really investigate cholt they could actually investigate nangalore and that could be sort of like almost a mini hex crawl because they can't do it in mm. Chult because it takes too long. So it's a, it's that a was a proxy for the exploration yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's a proxy. So they still got to explore something really cool. They still got to experience a lot of things. Uh, they still got to see some sort of ancient Omuan, you know, writings, and they got mm. to discover stuff and all that. Um, and then as they were leaving, so, you know, it, it's really funny how D and D games work, right? Like as they were leaving, uh, I. I had them all roll. I, I wanted them to roll um, on the garden discovery table because they, as they were about to leave the garden and they actually rolled uh, a 20. And so they found the, uh, you know, this rotting corpse of some old mage who was exploring something. But the thing here is that's important. He had a folding boat on him, 
So they were able to so easily get out of the – because they were going to have a problem getting out of the garden. They were so easily able to just go and make it all the way back to Kirsabal in that session. It was amazing how – it was just serendipitous how that yeah, worked. Yeah. So they got to Kirsabal. I'm almost done. They got to Kirsabal. They – by the way, they were extremely charmed by Princess Mawaxanon, Mawaxanon however you pronounce her name. There's the the sort of uh, spoiled princess there, who's actually the queen of Omu, right, the and then there's the child princess who's been displaced. Right. Yeah, and then there's her brother, who's like uh, some young kid who thinks he's an Aarakocra, and so I really played it like he thought he was an Aarakocra. So every time they saw him, he had feathers all over him, and he would only speak Orin, and so you know it was it was just really they and he wanted to go with them because of course. His leader did the, you know, did the ritual. So now they all have wings, and so uh, the, he wanted to go with them. And he had his, you know, his Aarakocra suit on, and they had to talk him out of it, and all this kind of stuff. And so that's a really, actually, very charming way that they set that up. Um, so that's a really good role playing if, if, thing. If you, if your people go to Kirsabal, I highly recommend you really play up the interactions between that princess and her and her younger sibling and and how that all works because that's really rich with a way to give the players some omu and lore because that's exactly what i did i used it as a way to get them a lot of information that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise they wouldn't have known anything about how to understand the information they got in nangalore without that particular you know role-playing type experience and then they they got their wings they flew to omu and because i had that gale force nine map set i could just say okay here's what you see and then and then we ended. So the my end, next yeah. session, next session is in two days, and I now have about two sessions to get them all the way through the entire the, tomb. the city and the tomb. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, oh wow! I already decided to cut the city mostly short oh, because okay. I knew I knew I had to cut something. So really, they're going to basically uh, run into. Um, they're either going to uh, it's variable, but they're either going to run into the Tabaxi hunters, or they're going to run into. Uh, Rosnasi or or one of his little minions or maybe one of the kobolds and they're going to find out about the shrines and they're going to have a pretty easy time getting you know the cubes um okay. but then I but then I got to figure out you know how to get them through the tomb in a couple of sessions I don't know that's going to happen they're pretty slow dungeon crawlers so yeah it's like half the game is it, it is it is <laughs> and and the problem is we would have had uh two or three more sessions than you know because we only really have like two left we would have had about four left but uh um as you guys know because i haven't been on behind the dm screen my my work semester has just been horrific so i've actually had to ca cancel a couple of sessions just because i uh, could not i yeah. could i so yeah so i you know what i i have mixed feelings about it uh, about the 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 product you know i really do uh I've I've done a lot of uh, a lot of fixes and changes that are very small. Most of them I would just consider normal things I would do as a mm -hmm. DM anyway to to, to you know uh, mold things into the way I like to run the game. Uh, but there were a couple of big fixes that I've had to do that um, you know. Although some of your fixes are because you're trying to take a, a year long campaign and run it in in six yeah, sessions. Yeah. <laughs> Are. But you know the thing is that so, as I as I'm doing that, thinking about those fixes, I'm also thinking if I was running this, I would still change change this a thing. lot of that. Yeah, uh, Sam, and and you know this might be a little hard. Where do you think you'd rank this adventure among the hardbacks? Oh boy. So, okay. Have you, have you uh, even? I know you've read the others, but have you have you run them? And and, it, and even even I mean you can go with even ones you've read because you're pretty thorough. Yeah, I I ran part of uh of of dr uh the Dragon Horde, um, and I uh, ran part of uh, uh the Abyss. I did not ring storm. I did not run Storm King's Thunder or any of Strahd. Um, I I would say uh, it's funny. I I I think Tomb of Anni Annihilation is slight. It slightly edges out uh the Abyss. In some things, and it's slightly behind the uh, abyss in other things. Hmm. Um, so I think they're pretty even. Mm -hmm. I think Strahd is probably an overall more well-done product just for how it's presented. 
Um, but I'm not I'm not a super huge huge fan of of the Curse of Strahd or of of the whole like Ravenloft thing. I think it's great for what it is, but it's just not my favorite way to do the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's high up there just for how well how good of a product it is. But I probably wouldn't ever run it. So it, you know, if you throw that one out, I think um, I think Tomb is up there. I think uh, I think I think uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen and Rise of Tiamat had problems only because they were the first right. like mm-hmm. i feel like i feel like if those if that adventure was released now it would be so much better yeah i think so they, it was still very railroady yeah i mean yeah. it ranks like, a little I, lower I for it. me because of the railroadiness but yeah yeah and like the, the i mean yeah there was definitely balanced things um and weird oddities hey here's a vampire on top of a cloud castle yeah, yeah. um but, you know i still I still that, think that's long road oh my god yeah I, I still think that Fandolin. I know you asked about hardbacks, but I still think that the starter set yeah. is almost mm. a perfect adventure in there. Mm, that's true. Um, yeah, I bet your list and my list are, are pretty close together. Yeah, yeah. And Storm King's Thunder. You know, I did read it. I I chose after reading it not to run it because it was either that or Out of the Abyss, and I was like, nah, I'm not. I'm not doing Storm Thunder. So. Yep. All right. Well, so I I noticed that uh, Sam, your game and your hook for Out of the Abyss hinged on the idea of the players having patrons, and one of Mike's games in uh, I'm sorry, Tomb of Annihilation hinged on yep. the idea of of players having patrons. I think patrons are really important, and if you want to be a patron to the Tome Show, you should go <laughs> nice. to patreon.com slash the Tome Show uh, and support us directly. If you're not quite ready to to give us uh, that support directly. I bet you go shopping on Amazon and or DMs Guild. If you follow the links at thetomeshow.com when you go shopping at Amazon or DMs Guild, you get the exact same experience, but they throw a little cookie on your browser to know that you came from us, and then we get a little bit of that uh, tossed our way. And the Amazon money gets spread amongst all the people who contribute to the show. Sam and Mike occasionally get Amazon gift cards from from the Tome Show and from your your shopping over there. Uh, and, and the DMs Guild um, money goes to buying PDF products that we then end up reviewing on the show so it's a win-win-win-win for everybody yay all right you like how i like seamlessly transitioned yeah that, that was perfect that was that was, the best <laughs> that was this that is what was... happens when you've been podcasting for over a decade yeah yeah you're that good jeff that was that just that was brilliant good. yeah you it was so good mike and i were both surprised yeah well that's it, true yeah see sometimes i could even shock uh, shock the people who i talk to every month so <laughs> All right, speaking of shocking people, it's my turn, uh, which should not shock anybody because everybody else has already talked. Uh, so, uh, Sam, you missed out on this, but Mike and I chatted about it uh, last month. Um, I, I had a little side quest thing where I had the players go into a living dungeon that was um, – it was so imagine you're in the in the, the Arabian Peninsula. It's a big desert. There was a city there once upon a time, and it was newt, you know, thousands of years ago, whoever knows how long. And the only thing left now is a giant plane of, a pane of glass. Um, and, and that's the location of this dungeon. And in the middle of it, if they can find the right location, you break through the glass, and there is an old tunnel, uh, which turns out to be an air duct, which leads into a, an underground uh, parking structure uh, that this sentience has sort of moved shipping containers around in order to build the walls, and that's your dungeon, right? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, this is me. And tra- do, do they, you know what the entity is? Or so, the- so they were they were geest, uh on this quest by uh, an ooze oasis, which is something I took out of the Tome of Beasts, which has the ability of hey, you drink the water, and that night you have dreams, and you wake up with a geist. Um So I did that, <laughs> uh, and and the idea was I had I had this this story or this this element where this crystal crystalline spiral sort of grew out of the pane of glass and and the dungeon was actually underneath that crystalline spiral and then once upon a time this this you know shining almost star-like thing sp- fell down from the spiral to from the heavens and split into two and and one half of it landed in the oasis and the other half became the 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 sentient living dungeon uh, and it wants to be reunited, but the sentient living dungeon side of it doesn't know that and resists and fights back. But the ooze geese them to, to reunite it, right? So that's the, the larger storyline. But mostly it's an excuse for me to remind the players that this is post-apocalyptic Earth. 
you know, <laughs> okay. and give them a little side quest dungeon in, in the process. And Mike gave me some great advice in terms of the kinds of things I could put in the shipping containers. Because I'm like, well, if they're shipping containers, uh, ultimately they're certainly going to open some of them. And so some of it was like, here's, you know, just a ship container full of full barrels of oil, crude oil, right? What are you going to do with that? I don't know. Doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, one of them was full of like movie props, and so they opened it up, and there was a full Indiana Jones costume and a bat suit and and lightsabers nice. and you know that kind of stuff, right? Uh, uh, the barbarian took the bat suit and tore the breastplate open and and made it into his new loincloth, and so now he's got a, ba- a bat symbol in the middle of his loincloth. And <laughs> the Sverfneblin wizard uh, took took the Indiana Jones hat and wears that now, and and I think the the, the player playing the mystic, uh, the tiefling that plays the mystic took the whip and you know um you know they they did that kind of stuff Uh, there was one shipping container full uh, of actually functional um uh was it t1000 um um, terminator skeletons Uh, except that the the power source had completely died because who knows how long it's been right so the power sources had died and one of them kind of kind of the 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 little glow in the eye comes to life just for a moment and then and then fades and and so they freaked out from like oh no we're gonna have to fight all these things and then then it fades away and dies and and uh, they didn't have to fight it and whatever so it was stuff like that so it was a good time. It was fun, and and, and they they enjoyed uh, the the trip down nostalgia lane and whatever. It was a little a little heavier handed on the reminder that you're an Earth sort of thing than I've done any at any other point in the campaign. I don't plan on doing this like this again, but it was fun for the one time little side quest thing. It was a good time. Um, nice. They, they they managed to get themselves or attempted to get themselves a long rest in the middle of it by locking themselves inside of a shipping container. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And, and then I interrupted their rest by having a giant loud megaphone uh, sort of yelling at them and, and talking to them and, and keeping them awake and, and bothering them and whatever, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and it had this weird stutter to it. And, and uh, one of the players is like, man, what is this thing? Is it like some sort of knockoff Mac, Max Headroom or whatever? So that became <laughs> that became the big villain. <laughs> <laughs> knock off Max Hedrum. Max knock off nice. Max Hedrum. So it was uh when they finally got to the to the end of the thing, it was originally just gonna sort of be an office, and then I think Mike suggested, Oh, what you're have you ever seen the videos of those like automated uh parking you know, cylindrical parking garage things out of like Japan, robotic, you know, where they, they take your car and they lift it up and they twist it, and they they stick it in the slot and then you come back and you put in your number and whatever and it goes and retrieves it. And I'm like, Yeah, that's totally what this is. Forget the whole lame, boring office thing, right? And so they went into, they finally, they managed to get through there and there were challenges along the way and there were some demons trying to get into it first and whatever. Because it turns out that the the crystal that became the sentience that built the dungeon is powering itself using a, a magical rod of some power that I actually took from the, uh, not rod, staff, that I took from the... Uh, Taldori book. It was, it's one of those vestiges. I've been sprinkling those in throughout the campaign, and I've had a storyline to explain where, why they keep running into all these things or whatever. Um, but one of my players also needs it, and I, I can talk about that in a moment. Um, so, so the demons are trying to get in there. They let the demons basically like pry open the the cylinder thing, and then they killed off the demons. Hey, thanks for doing the work for us. Now you can die and go away. Um, they they then uh, went down in the cylinder. They sort of have to climb down it because, of course, none of the None of the the machines work anymore. To you know, there's no like elevator to take you down in the cylinder. But at the bottom of the cylinder is where they needed to go, and they get down to the bottom of it. And there's one little alcove that doesn't have a car in it. And at the back of it is is basically an old like computer monitor, like not even a flat screen, like an old CRT monitor, right? And it's sitting on this this uh, silvery aluminum cylinder, and there's wires and stuff coming out of it, going up into the monitor and whatever. Um, and and then it, the the screen flickers on and is talking to them, and it is it is your knockoff Max Headroom because of course the the player said it was, and so absolutely it was. Uh, and it was it, I described it at you know I described like you know the 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 what is it, the teal background with the multicolored geometric shapes sort of floating around in the background. And uh, it's it's this guy, and it's clearly like an Arabic guy, but his hair has been dyed blonde, and it's back in this big sort of, you know, Max Headroom hairstyle or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Uh, and so that's that's how, that's that was the big bad villain. 
Uh, and it, and the whole thing ended up working out really well. So I had um, I, I ended up reskinning everything, of course. I just but I used stats as they were. The I had uh, you know uh, loader bots like either from like Borderlands or Aliens or whatever the big mm-hmm. sort of yellow loader bot things. I had those actually mixed in amongst all the cars above them in the cylinder that would that started off by like just throwing cars down on top of them if, if they were in the middle of the cylinder. Uh, and then flying down and like <laughs> punching them and stabbing them and things. And then the the monitor itself, I reskinned as a Marid, or I reskinned a Marid, which is the water uh, genies, uh, to be yeah. the, to be the monitor. So there were jets behind it that could shoot water, and there were these little arms that came down out of the ceiling that it was connecting uh, connected to that would shoot like rebar uh, poles at them or whatever. Um, th- that was the the Marid's um, um, trident ability, right? So I just sort of oh, right. found yeah. ways to you know you know to reskin all these things, right? And and say yeah, it's totally this modern thing, and they didn't catch on to that at all. So it worked out really well. Um, so yeah, so so in terms of reskinning, like the the loader bots were the possessed pillar from Toma Beast, which is sort of a constructy sort of thing that I just kept it as is, and then the Marid became the the core. I had to, to fudge a little bit because they kept, like, attacking the components of the the core, like, tearing the wires out and attacking the rebar shooting arm things. And, like, I don't want to deal with, like, individualized, like, well, the, this arm has this many hit points and that little component oh, right. there. You know, I didn't yeah. want to deal with all that. So I had I, I, the one guy pulling the wires out. Like I made it particularly difficult, and eventually he'd pull them out, and there'd be a little shock to it because you know you're releasing this energy. And and basically what I would do is I I would ro- randomly roll a die and say okay it loses this ability right uh, you know so I out of its spell like abilities or its attacks or whatever it would lose one of them for every wire he yanked out of the thing right and that worked out pretty well. Um, <laughs> You know, when they cast lightning bolt or whatever on their the rebar shooting arms, I just had it had the electricity travel down the wires and and fry the monitor itself. You know, uh, it all it all ended up working out well. And then they got the the rod out of the the, um, the not the rod. I keep saying rod because they're in the middle of a of a quest for another piece of the rod of seven parts. Uh, the staff. Um, out of the out of the base of uh, of the thing, which turns out to be important to them, and this is what I wanted to, to talk a little bit about is the idea of spotlighting. Uh, I try, I find myself a lot of times in the mornings when I'm taking a shower, thinking about my game, and thinking, okay, let's go through each of the players. How am I spotlighting each player? Right. Uh, that's 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 great. Yeah, well, and it's fun and it works well, and that's where a lot of my side quests come from, and and yep. it's going really well ex- with a couple of exceptions. So everybody has has a good spotlight to him. So there's Major Tom Stardust. He's the, the robot guy. There's all this Gear Forge story behind him. And the soul that powers him is actually the soul of the guy who created the disaster that made the world like it is, that created the, the apocalypse, basically. And he's sort of re- regaining memories and learning that. There's his story, right? There's this Furf Neblin who was killed by Orcus and brought back by Frazer Blue uh, and is now working on a, a ritual to summon Frazer Blue. And we talked about that last month, uh, what kind of things he might need to do and find. And one of those is going to be he needs to have a Staff of Power and he needs to have – and not not like the magic item of the Staff of Power because that's what Frazer Blue is looking for, right, Mike? That's what we talked about. But, like, as a proxy to that, he needs a staff of power, a powerful magical staff, right? Which they now they have one. Uh, and he needs to deceive the party into helping him. Okay, so one of the other p- players has the staff of power. If he can deceive that player into using the staff of power in this ritual, then he's just met two of those qualifications for the ritual. Great. Right. Uh, then there's Ravazar. He's the, cha- the, the chaos wild sorcerer. Uh, and, and I've used that chaos sort of wild magic thing to tie him to this, this far plane, far realm sort of area where, where the magic came from and there's these hive creatures that come from there and they're trying to end the chaos and he can kind of communicate to them because of this, this connection he has to the chaos and there's a family connection there and, and that's going really well. Um, Akmus is, is the, the once warlock now mystic who is, um, who has specifically has the quest to gather the parts of the Rod of Seven Parts, uh, that's fine. Uh, the two that I'm struggling with are Dunthar the Barbarian, because I described the setting as being similar to Thundar the Barbarian. He said, fine, I'm making a barbarian. His name is Dunthar. <laughs> fine. Um, I've tried some different things to give him a hook. 
I don't know if I just haven't found the right hook or if he's just not into it and he just wants to sit back and, and roll dice and, and crush monsters uh, every now and then. So I have some ideas on to try once again to give him a spotlight storyline. Um, and I actually have a new player who joined us for the first time with the, the nostalgia uh, sentient dungeon thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't have a storyline for him yet. And part of that is like, he's only been in one session and I don't really know what I'm going to do to spotlight him yet, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and, and even then like, okay, great. But when do I fit all these in? Because like Vizarin, the drow wizard from out of the abyss has been waiting for them for literally a year to come and do this ritual to get rid of the, the, the demon lords. <laughs> right. So, so uh, thoughts on on uh, spotlighting characters who either you're, they're new and you don't know how to spotlight them, or seem to resist uh, spotlighting. Ha-ha. That's rough. Um, you know, one of the good things about uh, cutting Tomb of Annihilation into very discrete parts is that I could make sure that if I had a plan for each session, I knew who you know. Because I would try to spotlight at least two of the three each session, mm-hmm. and they got to have something, right? And so I knew who I could sort of poke at and get them into the spotlight on, on any given session. Um, that's rough with a new player, though. I mean, I, it, it takes me at least three, four sessions with a new player to figure out mm-hmm. sort of what their play style is. And I, and I think a lot of times for the new player, it takes them time, too, to figure out how they're going to interact with the group and, and, you know, how they're going to distinguish themselves and how their play style is going to evolve or grow to become a more baseline play mm-hmm. style. It's and, rough and he's, to get And he's involved. pretty new to D&D generally. Like, he used to play yeah. uh, he used to play something back in the day. I don't remember what it was. Um, but it wasn't even D&D's. Um, and he yeah. hasn't played in a long time. So, yeah, I mean, I'm hesitant. But at the same time, they're also, so, like, 13th level, and I want to wrap this stuff up uh, yeah. in the next few months. And so I don't want to wait too long. Right. So what, one thing that you can do uh, with with the new players, because I, I did this with uh, with my in my current group. One of the players is brand new, and um, um, every time I describe a situation, and and I'm and I'm basically going to say, you know, what do you guys do? Instead of saying that, I look at the player who I'm not sure what their play style is, and I ask them directly, "What do you do?" Mm. Because it makes them, you know. And then, you know what, if their style is to sort of be collaborative and look at the other players or if they get lost or if they don't know, it's not like a forceful, like, what do you do? It's mm-hmm. more of a, I'm inviting you to tell me what you want to do first because I want to make sure you don't get overshadowed by the mm-hmm. sort of pros, you know, at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one tiny thing you can do just to – just. For a whole session, just whenever there's a, a, a break and you need to ask them what they're doing, you just ask that one. Mm-hmm. Ask that. that yeah, thing. and unfortunately, he missed the second session um, uh, through nobody's fault. But uh, he, when he comes, I actually know him because mm-hmm. our sons are friends, and that's how he got invited into the game. And my, yeah. and so he brings his son with him, and they they hang out and, and play magic and do whatever while we're playing D anD. d and that worked really well, except that last time we were supposed to play, my son woke up with a fever that morning, and I said, "You may not want to bring ah. your kid over." And then he's like, "Well, then I can't come either because my wife and, yeah. and daughter are doing other stuff." So, right. So yeah, so he, you know, he was he really enjoyed session one, and then you know couldn't join us for session. Yeah, two. I don't I don't think you have to you know jump too heavy into it right away, right? Like mm-hmm. you can you can sort of let it ex- you know relax and wait for the right opportunity mm-hmm. to highlight. Um. A lot of, I mean, you know, my 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 general feeling is people are generally happy coming and playing a game, and if you can find small things that you know, they're to tie their character, and you don't have to have the big hooks in until they make until they sort of organically make sense. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and some of those happened that way, right? Like the um, um, the Fraser Blue thing uh, with the this Fred right. Neblin character that just sort of uh, evolved. They show up. Yeah, yeah, these things happen. Yeah. Right, like it was because, you know, because he was the one that grabbed the crystal in, in Mantle Dareth, and and yeah. that was that Frazor Blue was in or whatever. So, yeah. you know, the the other thing too is sorry to step on you, um, but uh, the if if they're towards the end of this, you know, you're saying they're like thirteenth level, you want to wrap it up, maybe just relax and don't worry about the new guy. You know, until, you know, if you've only got a few mm. sessions left. Oh, no, there's way more than a few sessions. There's at least six months. But but I have the oh, end, okay. I have the okay. end in, in my mind. So. 
Yeah, okay. Well, that, so what I was going to say was, you know, if there's only a few sessions left, just take it easy and right. then, you know, don't worry too much about him. And then in the when the new campaign starts, you really get him into it, you know, yeah. with a first-level character or whatever. Well, I'm reaching a point where timing is 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 becoming weird because, like, I know I want – like, I have all these other things I want to do. But I'm also very aware that in about a year or so, there's a really good chance I'm moving because I'll be finishing my PhD and, and hopefully, you know, moving to some other city where I have a professorship. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a chance I, I suppose I could end up uh, as a professor at a nearby university, and that's certainly a possibility. But uh, I'm not planning on that being the, the case. So whatever we're doing, we're probably going to have to wrap in a year anyway. Uh, and I have that end sort of in the back of my head the whole time. So because it means I'm never yeah. going to get around to Curse of Strahd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so anyway so there's some yeah there's some good thinking there and i and i'm i'm rolling some ideas around uh, I, we didn't talk much about what to do with the barbarian um but i have i have an idea in my head um in terms of uh, i was actually listening to the podcast episode of a, an early session of critical role and there was this moment where he gave the barbarian uh, a spotlight moment by by doing the sort of single combat thing um mm-hmm. And, and that can be a little bit corny um, at times, but I, I, I developed this idea in my head. So they're from this, this area called the Free Realms, and each one is made up of five different sort of little nations within the larger country, right? Okay. And, and I had each of the players in the beginning of the, of the campaign create their own of the five nations. And so his is this sort of strange, sort of um, barbarian, we don't like magic, sort of, you know, Hyboria sort of place that he's from, um, that we based off of the primeval Thule settings uh, loosely, which, which is very different than all the others. And it occurs to me, okay, so how have they survived in this highly civilized, highly magical sort of country that they're part of? And, and, and so I'm like, well, what if there is a... What if they've actually, as a people, secretly made a deal with some entity? Maybe it's even the Queen of Chaos, who is sort of the lieutenant to the big bad of the entire campaign. And, and she has been propping them up and supporting them behind the scenes this whole time. But most of the people don't even know it. Uh, but part of the deal is they have to have a champion. And the champion, whoever is killed by the champion, that's the souls of whatever they kill goes to the Queen of Chaos and she turns them into the spider fiend demon things that, that have been plaguing them the whole thing. So what if he's called as one of the more powerful sort of members of, of the land to, to engage in this ritual combat and, and possibly become the champion and then finds out what it's really all about and be like, wait a minute, this is actually counter to my larger goals. What do I do now? So... <laughs> Um, that's sort of in my head where I might go with it, but you know, when do I do it? Cause I got a drow waiting to do a ritual for over a year. Now. <laughs> so I need to move on to Vizar and, and get back to the main storyline. We've done a lot of side quests lately. So <laughs> anyway, so that's where I'm thinking I'm way over time. So, uh, there we are. All right. I think we'll go ahead and just wrap this up then we're over an hour on the episode. So, uh, I guess we're done for April. We'll talk to you again in, what is it, March? Is that what comes next? <laughs> You're going backwards. May, May. We just did March. May. Man, grad school is tough. So <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next May, uh, next month in May. Uh, until then, uh, have fun and say goodbye, boys. Bye. Goodbye, boys. <laughs>